I've said it uh, many times that we have a generous church, generous in terms of financial giving, generous in terms of uh, service and giving of time. Uh, last week, we had a number of people respond to uh, Common Grace saying they want to mentor uh, students. How many, Jay, did we have? Over 30 people say, hey, I want to care, care for adults. That, that is uh, just fantastic. And then uh, at the school today, uh, at our school, uh, Jay and the Common Grace crew were there and Malama mentors. And how many students stepped up and said, I want to mentor younger kids? 18, 18 kids. 18 kids from the school here said, I want to step up. So... I just say that because, like, uh, there's, we should celebrate things, and, and our church is generous in so many different ways. One of the other areas our church is generous in is, is offering prayers. Our church is a praying church, and, uh, and so in, in, in the front of your um, uh, chairs, <laughs> I'm like, what are they called? The things you sit on? Chairs, yes. <laughs> Forgot for a moment. But there's a connection card there, uh, and it, you can put your information on it, and that little box that says prayer requests. People pray for, for those all the time. And I actually got a call today saying, and they're like, Brian, we, we, we need more prayers. So tell people that we want to pray for them. So I'm telling you that our prayer team, they want to pray for you. Isn't that amazing? I get a call saying they want more prayers because they want to lift up more things to the Lord. Every day after service or every uh, uh, after service, we, to, to my right, to your left, right over there, we have a prayer team for people. If you want to be prayed for, you just come up there and they'd love to pray with you. Um, and, and so we really have a generous church. And, and so if you have prayer requests, write them down. If you have needs, let us know about them so we can come alongside you and, and help you with the different and various needs that you have. The series, How the Bible Was Built, um, is going really well. On Tuesday, we're releasing video number five, which is uh, the New Testament. Have you ever wondered how the Bible came to be? Have you ever under wondered how we got the Bible that we have today? Why is it the Bible that we have? Um, that's why we're doing this fully animated series. So on Tuesday, usually we do it on Monday, but it's a holiday. On Tuesday, we're going to release video number five, which is the New Testament, part one of two, talking about how the New Testament started to form and what's the foundation of the New Testament. So be checking your email. If you're new here, make sure you fill out the card there, and you can even put a little blurb on it. Uh, make sure I get the How the Bible Was Built video, and we'll make sure it gets into your hands. Um, and, uh, and you can always check out the videos on YouTube. Just go to our YouTube channel. Just type in Kaimaki Christian Church. And all the videos will, will come up there. And uh, anyways, all that good stuff going on. So we started a new series this weekend called Acts. The book of Acts going to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician. He was an educated man, a well-traveled man, a brilliant man. He traveled with the Apostle Paul a lot. And uh, this was his second um, Really, his second writing, the first writing is the Gospel of Luke. This is really part two. This is really the, the start of the church. And here's what is fantastic about the book of Acts. We get to enter in this journey with everybody in the book of Acts. Because it has men and women. It has old and young. It has people trying to figure out what does it mean to live for Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does salvation mean? And all these new concepts that are, that are brand new within the early church, we get to 
to come alongside in this series and journey along with the individuals and the groups in the book of Acts. And it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. Like, like one example is Peter. Peter, three weeks before he talks at Pentecost or so, three weeks or so before that, he, he was crying because he denied Jesus three times and Jesus called him out crying in tears. But Jesus restored him. He spoke life into him. He says, there's so much more I have for you. Go and take care of my, my flock. Then when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, that we're going to read about in just a moment, Peter was the one who, who stepped up and told everyone, hey, here's what's going on. He told them about redemption. He told them about Christ. told them about love. A similar message that Jesus told him when he was in tears just weeks earlier. The book of Acts is an exciting book. It has ups and downs, and it's really a, uh, uh, a new era has begun in the book of Acts, and it's the era of the church. A new era has begun, and they're figuring things out. They're making mistakes along the way, and we get to see the mistakes they made. We get to see this, the successes they made, and we get to be a part of that journey. So the next 12 weeks while we're doing this, we get to enter into this journey called the book of Acts. And, um, and let's get right into it. Acts chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 to 11. And we're going to talk about the ascension, when Jesus ascended to heaven. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Amen. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Here's what Jesus says. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after Jesus said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white beside them uh, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So after Jesus rose from the grave, he was on earth for 40 days, revealing himself to many people. So people and eyewitnesses saw Jesus. So, so he died on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He rose from the grave, and then for 40 days, he was revealing himself to people all over the region there. So there's many, many, many eyewitnesses seeing Jesus risen from the dead. And, uh, and he did that for 40 days. 
And then, and then after the 40 days, he ascended. When he ascended to heaven, he, he left, but he didn't leave them alone. He left them with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7 in Acts chapter 1. Verse 7, it is not for you to know the time, the dates, Father, set from verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the, to the very ends of the earth. And in verse 7, there's a subtle thing that's going on here. It has been set by his own authority. So God has the authority. Jesus has the authority. And then he says, what I'm going, though, when I leave, I'm giving you power. Uh, so, so, so Jesus has the authority, and in verse 8 we read that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. This word power is the word dunamis, and the etymology of this word is that uh, some years down the road, this is where we got our word for dynamite. So the idea of dunamis, of power, is that it's power. So with the Holy Spirit living within us, we have power. And, and I think sometimes we forget that. That God has empowered us to live a life of boldness. God has empowered us to live a life of strength. God has empowered us to be bold and to love and to cherish and to forgive. That the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do those things. He has the authority and he gives us power. Then it says, Jesus tells the disciples that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Judea, Judea would be the surrounding countryside. Samaria, the hated semi-foreigners living next door. And uh, let me show you this map up here so you kind of get an idea of what's going on. You got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here's another way of kind of putting this into perspective. Jerusalem, we could think of our city. Jerusalem, we could think of our city. And Judea, we could think of our state. We could think of Hawaii, Samaria, our country, ends of the earth, everywhere. The idea is that we are to be his witnesses everywhere we go, but we're not going alone. We're going because of the Holy Spirit empowering us to preach the message of love, of forgiveness, of redemption, of grace. We're not alone. God is in us. He has the authority, and he has given us his spirit living among us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But let me highlight two concepts in this passage here that is easy to kind of over, overlook because we've got to remember when we look at the, uh, especially the New Testament, we've got to put our first century glasses on, our first century lenses on, so we kind of catch all the different nuances of what's going on. But the first thing is this, is when they saw Jesus ascended, a passage in Daniel chapter 7 would have come to most people's minds. You've got to remember that Jewish people during this time frame, they knew Scripture. They knew the Hebrew Scriptures. They studied it. They memorized it. It was like honey on their lips. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 would have come to mind. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached 
the Ancient of Days, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. They would have seen this figure as Jesus, one who was coming from the cloud of heaven. In this case, going out in the cloud of heaven, but when he comes back, he is coming back in a similar way. They would have seen Jesus as the one who received all authority, all glory, all power from God the Father. And then the second thing that the Jewish audience would have really uh, uh, zoned in on was the difference between the Roman accounts of their emperors and the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. When a Roman emperor died, it became customary or commonplace for someone to say, I saw the spirit of our emperor going to heaven to become a god. It was very commonplace for that to happen. To this day, you could go to Rome, stand under the ark the Arch of, of, of Titus, who was a Roman emperor in the 80s, eight, not 1980s, but like AD 80s. <laughs> thank, thank you for the 10 that laughed. All right. So you could go there and you can look up and you'll see a carving of the soul of this emperor Titus. What Luke is doing is he's drawing a contrast, a very vivid contrast of spirits becoming gods in, this, in the Roman minds to the reality that Jesus physically rose from the grave, that Jesus wasn't a spirit that rose and became God, but somehow he was God in human form, and when he rose from the grave, he had this physical resurrection. He had a spiritual body, but there was a physical component to it as well. The idea that Jesus had always been divine. So the early readers would have, would have read this and said, wow, this is in stark contrast to what the Romans believe, and it was setting Jesus up higher than all of the gods that people worshipped during this time frame. This was a, a, a big message that Luke was getting across. So then, there's 11 disciples, because prior to this, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, turned him in, and then Judas ended up killing himself. So what happened was that with Judas, he ended up killing himself, so there's just 11 disciples. So they got together, and they said, we got to have 12 disciples, just like there's 12 tribes of Israel. They were 12 disciples. And so they got down to the top two. One, one of the candidates for the 12th disciple was Joseph, called Bersabbas. Not Barabbas, like, you know, in the story, but Bersabbas, Joseph. And the, the other guy... Is called Matthias. And they end up coming to figure out that Matthias, they felt, was the one God was calling to be the 12th disciple. Now, here's what's fascinating. How would you feel if you were Joseph and not being picked? On another note, it's interesting that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wasn't, didn't make the top two. Isn't that interesting? As I think about this, 
I'm just reminded that there's no small jobs in the kingdom of heaven. There's no big jobs, low, lowly jobs, insignificant jobs. Sometimes we go, well, why did that person get that opportunity? But I didn't. I could imagine something like this was going on. But when I reflect on this account, here's what I'm reminded of. Our job is not to compare ourselves to other people. Our job is to be faithful. That's, that's our job is to be faithful and realize that who we are is a child of God. And if God brings somebody to a different area or elevates someone, however you want to look at it, that's God's business. Our job is to be faithful and to keep our eyes on the cross. So then they ended up having the 12 disciples. And then after they had the 12 disciples... Uh, Back in action, then we read this in Acts chapter 2, and this is the story of Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. What is Pentecost? Let's, let's talk about Pentecost and let's talk about Passover as well. Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover, and originally Pentecost was this agricultural uh, celebration where the, the, the farmers would take the, the best of their, of their crops and they would bring it before the Lord, their first fruit, so to speak, and they would give it to the Lord. That was what Pentecost was originally. Passover goes back to the time of Egypt. When they would sacrifice these lambs, they would put the blood on the doorposts of the Egyptians, and, and, and then the, the, uh, the Spirit came, and all the homes that didn't have the blood on the doorposts, their firstborns died. And it's the idea that the Spirit passed over those homes. Then when they crossed the Red Sea and the Lord led them through the Red Sea, they passed through the Red Sea. This is the background of the Passover. It's a time when they remembered that, that there was a sacrifice that saved people. And Jesus died on Passover. The idea that he died, he sacrificed himself so we may have life. Then 50 days after that, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And, a, and Pentecost, like I said, originally was this idea that was this festival where you'd bring your first fruits the, of the crops. It was about, uh, but it was about much more than that. It was about God redeeming people for the way of life. It was about God restoring people. And so here's a connection then when the Holy Spirit came upon all people. Just like Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the law and came down to present it to the people. So too, Jesus ascended that he went up, but also sent down. Not the written law carved in stone, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that came down with God's written law on our hearts. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the last days, The prophet Joel writes that God will pour out his spirit upon us. Peter tells the crowd that. He says, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. But this was prophesied that God would pour out his spirit upon us. And he says, in the last days, this will happen. Now, it's important to make a distinction between the last days and the last day. When we talk about over here the last days... We're talking about the, the, the idea that when Jesus died and he rose again and then he ascended to heaven, ever since then, we've been in the last days. Because at any time, Jesus could, could come back. Just like he ascended, he says, I'm coming back. These are the last days. Are we in the last days? Yes. Were we in the last days in the first century? Yes. So we've been in the last days for a long time. In fact, and I mentioned this before, and if you've been watching the How the Bible Was Built videos, you, you've, heard this be, uh, you've heard this in the videos, that one of the reasons they didn't really write everything down, well, one, it was, a, it was a oral society, but number two, they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And then when they realized, oh, maybe Jesus isn't coming back in our lifetime, we should probably write this down. What do you think about that, Bill? Yeah, sounds good to me. Biff? Yeah, sounds good. These are just Aramaic names, you just, you know. <laughs> so they start writing it down. So the last days. Now, when we talk about the last day, that's the day that Jesus comes back. And if you want to know how that happens, I don't know. <laughs> but in the end, God wins. And if God wins, we win. Isn't that a good promise that we have? There's so many different ways of looking at how Jesus is coming back, what he's going to do when he comes back, all sorts of things. And these are all peripheral issues. The main thing that is clear in Scripture is that in the end, God wins. If God wins, we win. If we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Because they responded to Peter, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. It was like, it was like the Holy Spirit was just like, poof. Ever have those moments when you realize the God, that the Lord is just speaking to your heart and it's time to change. It's time to take that step of action. That's what happened in this group. And they, they said, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that you will be saved. But what is salvation? Are we saved just that because one day we'll go to heaven and be with Jesus for all eternity? Uh, That's part of it. But that's all we think salvation is. We've missed the boat on so much. 
Salvation is so much more than that. Salvation is knowing that because of the cross, Jesus has rescued us, not only from our future, but rescued us in our present. Salvation is a present reality as well as the future hope that we have. So we have this eternal hope, but we also have this present hope that Jesus is alive and he can save us from our addictions, save us from our sins, save us from our hurts, save us from our whatever it is that we're struggling with. He could save us here and now. In verse 36 to 38 of chapter 2, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Talk about a direct thing, an immediate application of what they could, could do. And so here's, here's what I, I want us to contemplate this. The creator of the universe loves us, connects with us, wants to know us. We are called the temple of the Holy Spirit, God residing in us. And sometimes, maybe we've strayed away from the Lord, but the Lord comes and he nudges us. The question is, will we respond to that? And, and for others, we've never, some of them have never made the decision. And what does Peter say? He says, repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn from our sins and to turn back to God. And then he says to be baptized. When we baptize someone, we're reenacting what Jesus did, that Jesus died, that we go underwater, just like Jesus died, and then we come out of the water, representing Jesus rose from the grave, that we have this new life. He says, turn from your sins and be baptized. That's why we have a baptistry here. That's why we celebrate baptism. And maybe there's a number of you here who have never been baptized. One of the first things as a church is getting started at Pentecost what must we do? Repent and be baptized. And so if you've never been baptized, write on your information card, I want to be baptized. Talk to somebody at church here. Talk to one of the pastors, one of the leaders, whoever. We'd love to baptize you because when the day the church started, Peter says, repent from your sins, turn from your sins, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says, go and be baptized. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has not left us on our own. God has not left us uh, all by ourselves, but he has lives and dwells within us if we invite him into our lives. And if, if you've strayed from him, guess what? You could always repent and he forgives us. Because we're all sinners, we all need a savior, we all need redemption. That is the hope that we have. And the beauty is this, that God, when we make that decision for Christ, he saves us here and now. And he starts giving us life, life to the fullest, the best life we possibly could imagine. Not the easiest, but, but a life that is fulfilled. And then we have the eternal hope that in the future we will live with him for all eternity. So throughout this series, 
let's enter into this journey with the men and women of the early church. Let's, let's really get into the book of Acts here. And I'm going to be, I'll send out an email later this week encouraging everyone to be reading um, uh, various chapters throughout the week. And we'll be reading together as a church like we did with the series in James. So we could be reading together, really getting into it. And, um, and if you want resources, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some resources as well in that email so you can kind of follow along if you want to go deeper. Because the book of Acts is, ex- is exciting. It's, a, it's, it's just it's, it's a, an amazing journey that we get to be on and get to see what the early church went through. And the band could come on this note here. Peter is telling, Peter is telling this early church and, and, and telling the people who are asking him, he's saying, you know how Jesus saved us? You know how the Lord saved us in Passover, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he passed over everything, and, and, and he saved all the firstborn of those whose blood was on the uh, doorpost so he could get you out of slavery. What Peter is saying, now it's time for some of us to get out of slavery. It's time for some of us to, to get out of this life of slavery and to come and to know who Jesus is, to know that he redeems us, he forgives us, and he has so much in store for us. And maybe some of us just need to be reminded of that message, the powerful message of the Holy Spirit coming, the powerful message that God has not forgotten you, the powerful message of God can still redeem you, the powerful message of God still loves you, that God still forgives you. And maybe, maybe some of you just needed to hear that. I, I, I don't know. The Lord knows. But as the Lord speaks to your heart during this song here, respond to him. Respond to him. And if you made a decision tonight to get baptized or to, or to, or to make a decision for Christ or to, to get back in a relationship with Jesus, put that on your card. Talk to one of your, the leaders and one of the pastors here. We'd love to pray with you. But let's take this time during this song as we sing and let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Amen.